Hi, this is Sean Smallman. Welcome to Dispatch 7. Today I'll be talking with an old friend and colleague, Dr. Kathy Ketchison, about her experience teaching Italian and also traveling in Italy. Welcome to the show. Kathy, I'm so glad you could join me today. And my first question is, how did you become interested in Italian in Italy? What attracted you to the language? Okay. Well, Sean, thanks for asking me to do this interview. I'm really excited about it. And first, I'll just say that I was always interested in learning languages. I had this kind of romantic vision of like a polyglot, you know, I was going to speak 25 languages and travel all over the world. And I did study some Russian when I was an undergraduate, and then later I took some Norwegian. And I always had those little Berlitz language books that you get at the travel store with, you know, multiple different languages. So always just playing around with stuff. And then in 2003, it was actually the fall of 2002, a good colleague of mine um, at a conference said that she and her husband were going to Uh, possibly go to Italy the next summer and did my husband Don and I want to come along and I said oh yeah but we'd had a couple glasses of wine and I kind of forgot about it then later about February of 2003 she sent an email and she said are we going and it kind of came back to me so I went down to my husband and I said Patty and Ken want us to go to Italy with them the summer, do you want to go? And he goes, are you nuts? Tell them yes. So we arranged that we were going to go. Um, and they, uh, her husband was a teacher, so they always traveled in the summer. So this was going to be July or so. And, you know, I had been in Europe before, but I had never been to Italy. And I decided to take beginning Italian class at Portland Community College. So Italian conversation one in the spring. And I took it from this wonderful Italian woman, Lena Boyer, who's kind of a legend at PCC. And I met people who are still my friends now. And one of them I still meet every other week to read Italian and speak Italian together. So that was the beginning, just taking this class. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to take one before we travel. But then I got really hooked on it. So I did enroll in the summer, even though we left to go on this trip. And then I continued to take it ever after that. So we went to Italy and I had a chance to practice a little, not too much, of course. Right. Um, But it was just such a wonderful experience. We stayed in a farm in Tuscany and we went around um, to different, we went to Rome, et cetera, and just got excited about the culture and everything, you know, so many people in America love Italy. Um, but the, having the language piece of it was really fascinating. I just wanted to go on and on and on. So that's where it started. Can you talk a little bit about your travels in Italy and yeah. what was particularly important about that experience for you? And if people travel to Italy, are there one or two places that you might recommend that they visit? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, it's funny. I'm not Italian at all in my heritage, but I just feel kind of a familiarity with Italian people. And um, I feel like I can kind of get along in that culture without too much trouble for some reason. So it was just very comfortable for me to go there. And the people that we met along the way were, you know, just very, very nice. 
And the, it's so different. You know, it's, it was sunny most of the time and the food is always delicious and interesting and so many, you know, colorful, uh, old places to see. And I just found that it was a very comfortable, nice place to go. So we've been there. I haven't counted, but it's going to be close to 20 times, probably. In some years, I've been there two, sometimes three times. I had um, a grant program at Portland State that I was the uh, project director for, and we had a student exchange with the University of Bologna. So I did some professional things there and met some people at the university. So I feel like I've seen different aspects of the culture. Of course, I'm still an outsider. There's no question about that. But I just think the, you know, the, the history, the, of course, the food. Of course, Stanley Tucci now has his, has his show on <laughs> CNN that everyone's watching. But it's more than just those things. So I would say a person who wants to go to Italy, you really have to think of it as more than one trip. The north the central part and the south are all different, even though they're all really speaking pretty much the same language besides the dialects. But I would start with the really famous places like you have to go to Rome. <laughs> you should go to Florence, Firenze. You should see Venice. Don't go to Venice in the summer. I mean, it's it's different now since COVID. There's not as many tourists, but Go there in the off season or you'll be disappointed at the crowds. But those major art and history sites are really important. But then also get out in the countryside and going to the south, the people are going to be much more welcoming and open uh, than they are in the more business-like kind of north. Kathy, one thing I think that's really interesting to me is that you sort of reinvented yourself. <laughs> Um, you, you, you became a, a language student and then a, a teacher, um, and then it's something that you've done for a long time, and you've touched on this a little bit, but can you say a little bit about how you were able to make that transition? And also, you know, I think one thing that's really important when you talk about languages is that people think you have to have some really deep natural ability <laughs> for to be able to do the kind of thing that you've done. And what do you think about that? Right. So let me just give you a quick background. So um, none of my college degrees have anything to do with language. And I have a professional job that has nothing to do with language or teaching language. So this was really just an interest on the side, right? And so it was very different from the other kinds of work I was doing. And being recommended to teach when there was an opening, being recommended by my teacher at PCC was huge. So, you know, as I have said, none of us does anything really on our own 100%. So I had somebody who saw that my interest and the way I embraced the classes that I could be a teacher. So she gave me the first step of confidence. And then, of course, I was panicked. I went to my tutor, like, can I be a teacher? Yes, yes, you can be a teacher. Then I went to another person who, and so I had this little team of people who were language teachers who gave me the confidence that I could do it. I don't think that to study a language or even to teach it, you don't have to be an expert in it. 
I mean, these people are looking at you and then, Professoressa, you know, they think that you know everything. And little voice, I'm like, I don't know everything. But you also have to just have the face to look at them and say, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to look that up. But that's such an important thing. And even when you're a language learner, to just relax and say, I don't understand. Or I don't know how to say this. So one of the things that I teach, and I learned this from another teacher right at the beginning, was how to say, repeat that more slowly, please. I have a question. How do you say? What does it mean? Those little questions in Italian at the very beginning so they can start asking me in Italian and I can respond to them. That gives people a lot of confidence too. So, you know, patience, communication, confidence, that's all the major things that you need to just be able to step up in front of people and start teaching them. You don't have to be a native speaker. In fact, the head of the World Languages Department at PSU said, when people are beginning, they often benefit from an instructor who speaks their language as a native language first, who can explain the grammar and everything in their own language before they go into the second language. And so I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do that. So I felt like I had people behind me who would help me. And that was an important thing um, to, to help me be able to have the confidence to teach. And then it turned out to be like one of the best things I've ever done. And I've done it now for, I think, more than 12 years. But the students in community ed are a range. So you will have college aid students all the way to someone who's well past retirement and just taking language for fun. You have heritage language speakers, you have travelers, you just have the curious. So it's a mixture of people who, you know, go to work all day or live their lives all day and then have dinner and come to class. And so I love them. And they, most of them will work really hard just to learn how to say the simplest things or to have some knowledge of Italy that they can take with them when they travel. And it's helped me get better with my Italian and reinforce my Italian. So uh, it's just been a, a win for me all around. Why do you think most of your students choose to study Italian? What, what are they looking for? Yeah, so it's a, it's a range, to be honest with you. The students who have... Italian heritage, either want to connect to that or want to build on it. And it's very important to them to have this identity. And they feel that being able to speak to their relatives or to travel in Italy and find their relatives is really important to them. Then there are the people who just are romanced by the whole Italian mystique, you know, the food, fashion, art, um, the travelers who want to be able to say something when they go there. I did have one student who was a former high school teacher, and he went to Italy to find his family. And he sent me an email after he came back, and he thanked me profusely. And he said, just the basic things he learned. He stayed with me the whole year, so conversation one, two, three. 
that the basic things that he learned from there helped him be able to communicate with these old Italians in this little village. And even there, though there were rough times, he was able to understand and get through it. And he was just so grateful. And, you know, so that was, what else can you ask for? That was the best. What advice would you give to language learners and also to, to teachers as well? Because you've been on both sides. Yeah, patience. <laughs> You're not going to become fluent in a one night a week community education language class. It's not the same as a college level class. So I'm going to speak about community ed and and even learning online. There's tons of resources now. You can connect with an Italian online and have conversation practices and everything. But you have to really be patient with yourself. Try to get the fundamentals down so that you can be more comfortable when you're speaking. And even if you're making mistakes, you can just say, okay, it's a mistake. And the person's going to forgive me for that as long as I can make myself clear. So communication is really the second thing. Be very patient with yourself and then just try to communicate. Even if you're making a mistake or it's hard or you're struggling for the word, you're going to feel more confident, more confident as you go along. Um, I do think that practicing a little bit with, you know, exercises and some books, even though there are tools online, I still think a book, you know, you can write on it with that thing that everyone forgets about the pencil. (laughs) I still use a pencil. Um, It helps some people reinforce what they're learning. I find that the younger students do super well with the online stuff. It's really easy for them. They're so familiar with doing everything that way. And they're bolder. (laughs) You know, they don't have the uh, feeling that an older uh, learner has, which is, I can't make a mistake. I have to do everything right. right. And also the more mature students, I keep reminding them, you have so many things in your head. You've already learned or you have so many responsibilities and things that you're thinking about. You're putting Italian into that mix. And so just calm down, realize it's going to happen, but just take it slowly. What do you think is one thing that is interesting about Italian as a language? Uh, Yeah, fantastic. So it has a wonderful rhythm and the grammar is complicated. (laughs) It's a romance language, as you know, Sean, there's lots of grammar. There's tons of verb conjugation forms and mood and you do things in it that you don't do in English. You don't have to do in English. It has lots of rules, but it can also be very playful And there's a sense of humor in there that is very different from like an English speaker's sense of humor that makes it really fun once you get comfortable with it. And I also just think the history of it coming from, you know, Romans, and then there's these different influences, there's all these dialects, and just the the history that comes through it is also really fascinating. I know you have an interest in history, and I know that you've thought about writing a book about the Etruscans mm. in the past. Mm. And I think 
many people will never never have heard of that this people. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about who they were and why they interest you? So they preceded the Romans on the Italian peninsula, and we know that Italy is the shape of a boot, and it pokes down from the southern part of Europe into the Adriatic and the Mediterranean and the Ionian Sea. And we don't really know where the Etruscans came from. Some people think they came from Asia. Some people think they came from parts of Greece. But there's another idea that they came over the passes from Central Europe. So they don't really know. But they arrived in Italy, you know, in the B.C. era. And um, they adopted a lot of the Greek art like they didn't they weren't great at coming up with their own stuff (laughs) they really were again this kind of coming from possibly seagoing trading kind of society and so they picked up all this because the Greeks were coming to Italy you know before the Romans and leaving things around and so they picked up a lot of that They were a culture that was really focused on death. So they have these necropolis, you know, underground necropolis all over the place in uh, Italy. And when you go down in there, there's these huge murals that are fascinating. They would bury their people in these little chests that were elaborately carved. But they're interesting to me because they were like, they overlapped the Romans there was even the one of the kings of Rome was actually Etruscan. They just couldn't make it. You know, their language was kind of strange. They ended up adopting the Roman language, although some of the Etruscan words are still in the Tuscan dialect. And they were centered around Tuscany and that area and down towards Rome. But you can find now the only things you really see are their underground tombs with the paintings um, and I was just interested in, like, what did they eat? You know, <laughs> what was their food like? The day-to-day life. Their that... day-to-day life of these people. Because what you really, they didn't have writing or anything for a while. And so what the only thing you really know about them is the aristocrats and the royal family and what they did. So what did the people do? It's kind of obscure. I think it's such an interesting topic. You know, I think you and I are alike in that we both love language. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. So why do you think it's important for people to learn languages? Yeah. I mean, we just saw a virus rip through the entire planet. And we realized that things that happen in one part of the world have an effect on another part of the world and that we're all kind of one big community. I know that sounds kind of idealistic, but... I think that learning language, learning history, there's a place for those studies in our world, not just practical things that get you a job. If you only speak your own language, you just think a certain way because the language actually reflects how we see things and it shapes how we see things, right? So, for example, Italians see things differently from English speakers. So if you pick up another language, you're going to see somebody else's perspective way beyond your own. And I think it helps you understand more broadly other people in the world and how they live and how they think of things. 
it's also really good for your brain <laughs> and it keeps you um, more limber in your, in your mental processes. It's like a puzzle or a game. I think it's very similar to learning music and I just think it's good for you. Now, mind you, not everybody's good at it. And it's something you have to realize. Like I have a very, very close friend who took Russian with me. She does not have a facility for languages. She never pursued anything after taking Russian, but it was a really good thing for her to do. Although she realized that, okay, this is not my thing. It was still something very good for her to learn about a different culture and a different perspective and, and to realize that she wasn't good at it. <laughs> you know, that was also a good thing. I think that um, being honest with yourself. So one thing is I, I love learning languages and I don't think I'm terribly good at it, you know, <laughs> but I, I keep at it. And I, I come back to something that you mentioned earlier is that one of the, I think the real obstacles that we all face is that fear of making mistakes yes. when we start beginning, that sense that it's very hard to start spoken, uh, yes. uh, uh, to be confident enough to speak in class because we're all afraid that we're going to make too many mistakes. Right. And how do you deal with that with your students? So first, let me tell you a quick story. So when I first started taking private lessons from my tutor, I was really scared to say anything to her. I could do the exercises. I could whip through the grammar, but I was really afraid to speak. I was very halting. I was always searching for a word. So she pulled me aside one time and she said, you know, you're going to be one of those people who for a long time, you're, you won't speak, but when you start, you won't shut up. <laughs> it's going to take off. And I think it's really the more life you have, the more daunting it is to, to try to speak another language. I do not agree that if you're, you know, say over 30 or over 40, that you can't become fluent. That's not true. I didn't start studying till I was in my 40s. And a young person said that to me. Well, I think it's really interesting that you're doing this because you'll never be fluent. And it was like someone had thrown the gauntlet. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not true. It's just that it is harder and you do have more in your mind. You do have more things to think about. And you are more afraid of making mistakes because you have to be the expert. If you're the mom or the dad, right, you have to show that you know what you're doing. If you're an employee or a boss or a professor or you know, a computer programmer, you're supposed to be proficient you're not really supposed to show that you can't do something. So people get really anxious or afraid to speak. And then there's, of course, there's going to be the other people don't care. They're just a babble, whatever. And they're making thousands of mistakes. But if you sit there long enough, to figure out what they're talking about, then that's all they care about. So again, it's just patience. Be kind to yourself. Give yourself a break. Do as much as you want to. That's what I always tell my students. This is totally for you. Learn as much as you want or as little as you want. Learn the things that you want. Forget the things that you don't. If you don't want to learn conjuntivo, forget about it. If you don't want to be really precise about, you know, some past participle ending, don't worry about it. Just do as much as you want that makes you happy and you're having fun. And if you're already working or you're 
um, have some spare time, you know, take that class at community college that's in the evening for two hours once a week in a different language or something about another culture. I think it's going to help everybody if we reach out beyond our own small world and try to find, you know, fun things <laughs> that we can learn about and share. And languages can definitely be fun things to do. I think that's really good advice. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dispatch 7. In the next episode, I'll be doing an interview with a Taiwanese friend who lives in England. And we'll be talking not only about cross-cultural issues, but also how the war in Ukraine has affected her family.